In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Glad to have you back on the Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. I'm Ben George. They are retirement income planning specialists at Pathfinder Wealth Management in Rockford. And today, we're going to answer some mailbag questions. I know there's a lot of questions coming in, both to the show, but also to their office in general. A lot of people got things on their mind with the way the market's going, with coronavirus, with future of small businesses and the economy, just a lot of things on people's mind. And we're going to try to help answer some of those questions as best we can today. So we have a number of mailbag questions we'll get into. But let me welcome Barbara and Phil on the show. How are you both doing right now? I mean, with with everything, we're a couple of months into this now, or are you getting a little bit easier to deal with the day by day or how are you feeling? Well, you know what, we're, we're trying to adjust here because uh, I think everybody's getting a little bit antsy, but um, you know, as far as any clients coming in, we're wanting to keep our clients safe. So we probably haven't had more than a half a dozen, I would say, when you feel half a dozen appointments in the last two months. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's most of our stuff has been, you know, by way of either phone interviews or zoom. Yep. Or calls, you know, yeah. Or, um, you know, just phone calls, yeah. emails, things like that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know what I tried to focus on during this time, because I'm a people person. So I like to be outside and around people and, and doing things. And so I just tried to focus on what I can control. So mm-hmm. it's getting with a couple of friends since we can still do that in small groups and, you know, seeing relatives. I had a brother over for dinner and went to my sister's for dinner and, and they, when they opened up the greenhouses here for flowers on May 1st, I think it was. So May 2nd, I was buying flowers. I told my friend, I said, let's go to the greenhouse because even if I don't buy flowers, I just want to be around other people than in the grocery store. Mm. So <laughs> the last two Saturdays, I went and bought flowers. And just looking at the things that I can do during this time, because let's face it, these are things that we can't control. Right. And I've, I've taken that same approach, Barbara, like just trying to make the best out of the situation. And for me, it's been just been able to spend t- more time with my my young daughter and, you know, my wife and us just kind of the time that we wouldn't have had normally be working all the time. She's at home, working at home as well. So it's given us more of an opportunity just to, to get to love on her and, and spend time with her. We, we haven't been able to get out at all, really, besides walking around the neighborhood. But still, at least there's something you can find a silver lining out of. And I think that's important. Yeah. Well, today we got some mailbag questions to jump into, and I, I'm assuming you guys have been taking a lot of questions from clients quite a bit. So I wanted to devote the entire episode today just to, to get to as many questions as we can, because there's some good ones that have come in, and uh, we'll jump right into it and start things off with Christina. And she says, I have almost $150,000 sitting in my savings account, and I'm tired of getting virtually no interest on it, but I'm also too scared to invest right now. So should I just leave it in the bank? Yeah, Ben, I, I'm going to take that one. It's, uh, and I'm going to start out by saying that it might be a good idea for uh, Christina to keep those funds in the bank. And, and that might sound like a uh, kind of a strange suggestion from someone who's been investing in and believes in the markets. And I really believe that the market is the greatest wealth creator known to mankind. I've been an investor for 45 years, but, but it might be important for Christina to keep her money there. Now, we don't know all the details, but here are some of the reasons why she might need to keep her funds in the bank or other people may need to keep their funds safeguarded in a savings account, uh, you know, a bank account, certainly not in a mattress, but, uh, you know, someplace where she can, they can have access to it. But you really, uh, you have to look at short-term expenses or needs, possible layoffs or cutbacks. That's a, 
a big deal going on right now in our community. I think they estimate that there is going to be as high as a 30% unemployment rate here coming up pretty quick. So furloughs, cutbacks, Christina didn't give her age, but if she's uh, retiring prior to age 65, she might need those funds to pay for COBRA or medical expenses or insurance between that time and, and age 65 when she can pick up Medicare. Or maybe she wants to continue uh, building her social security nest, nest egg. So she decides to uh, delay her withdrawal from social security between her normal retirement age and age 70 so she can build that up by that increase each year. Some other reasons might be that she needs to pay off student loans, buy a car, pay off mortgages, get out from underneath expensive consumer debt might be another one. Or here's one, supporting family members, maybe adult children that are having difficulty right now. You know, it's, it's, we have to stick together as families. And so maybe their children are in, in trouble, siblings or parents. And that's, that's another one that we might need to help our parents out. I've got a 95-year-old mother who needs help from time to time. And so, you know, she was there when I was growing up and now it's time for me to be there when she's older. But let's say that all those issues aside, maybe she is planning to use this money for retirement. One of the comments that I picked up on here, Ben, was, you know, she was too scared to invest right now. And it's important for us to understand that's a clue to her level of comfort. And so what we need to do is unpack her reasons for fear and rather than trying to convince her that she's going to be okay by putting in the market, you know, over time it's going to increase and so forth and so on, she'll be okay in the stock market. Well, that may all be well and good, but that's not really going to address this issue of her fear. So maybe she believes that investing in the stock market is like going to the casino. You know, a lot of people believe that, that, you know, you pay your money and you take your chances. Uh, there might be a dozen other reasons why the market scares her, but our job as investment coaches, Barb and my job is to understand her goals, Christina's goals, her objectives, her hopes, her dreams, her intended use for this money, and you know other money that she'll accumulate between now and the time she retires. We call it understanding her true purpose for money. In other words, understanding what's more important than the money itself. You know, the money is a means to an end, and so she's going to use that money. And so, what is her true purpose for money? And so helping clients takes much time and much understanding. Most financial advisors, and I, I hate to say this, but you know, people are looking for that commission or that big fee, but a lot of folks are, are too eager to recommend a product or an immediate solution without really understanding the person. And so we have to take time to get to know Christina. You know, our goal is to assist clients to arrive at a place where they have what we call a peace of mind as investors. Now, now you ask yourself, gosh, can you really have peace of mind as an investor during the COVID-19 crisis that we're going through? Our answer to that is yes. You can have peace of mind. If you understand what you're doing and you understand that this too shall pass and your portfolio is really set up so strategically, you are going to handle these downturns. You can have peace of mind. So our suggestion is to have Christina or anybody else that has some problems with uh, really attaining peace of mind to give us a call. Just give us a call. You know, it's very true. Like you said, Phil, we do spend some time getting to know our clients. So, you know, we meet with someone, it's a minimum of one hour, if not two different, two appointments and just getting to know them and mm -hmm. what they'd like to accomplish. But there are a lot of unknowns with this question with Christina and I, I kind of like you, Phil, have an investor mindset. So if I have money sitting around and it's, um, it's going to get invested now, of course, mm -hmm. it, is a, it is a good time to invest you know, with low prices in the stock market. 
But I would say keep a comfortable amount for emergency money or if you have an upcoming purchase, a big purchase, and then invest the rest. I looked at it just kind of at face value when she says $150,000 sitting in my savings as if it's lazy money and she wants to do something with it. But there are many more questions to ask. So talk with a qualified financial advisor who can assist you in choosing an investment that doesn't have high risk. You can invest in the right and in a very diversified uh, mix of low cost and low risk funds uh, as long as you're talking with the right person. That's right. Exactly right. No, they need to give us a call because, you know, it's not always the right. In fact, uh, uh, Professor Eugene Fahm at the University of Chicago says not everybody should be invested in the stock market which is kind of interesting because that's his, his stock and trade is, you know, understanding risk in the stock market. And he knows that one size does not fit all. Yeah. Some people just do not have the stomach for it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you can, you can reach out to Pathfinder Wealth Management, Christina. That number is 815-399-9806. And you're not alone with that same uh, concern right now. I mean, there's a lot of people that feel the same way you do, but know that you have different options and you want to you want to talk through those and figure out what's going to work best for you. And Barbara and Phil can help you with that. Our next question is from Beverly. She writes in, I'm curious to your answers on this one. This is a interesting one. I counted up the mutual funds in my IRA and it appears that I have 33 different funds. Is that adequate diversification? Oh, okay. I'm going to take that one then, Ben. Well, the purpose of diversification, Beverly, to begin with is to minimize risk. So oftentimes people mistake diversification for a lot of stuff in their portfolio mix. I remember back in the 90s, before the tech bubble burst, people would come in and they'd have 10 or 20 different funds and, and, uh, or even stocks, and they're all invested, of course, in technology. So what happened when that bubble burst? Well, they were all in the same sector, so there's nothing to hold the portfolio up. Those are big drops. The problem most of the time that we see is that these, likely these 33 funds could all be in the same asset class. Likely, from what we usually see, likely large growth U.S. funds. And there is a great deal of overlap that we do see. So we've got those same funds that are investing in the same companies. So if you take like a Vanguard or Fidelity who have thousands of funds out there, you have to be careful when you think you're diversifying amongst those because when you look underneath the hood, if you will, they're investing in the same companies. So my guess is that you're wrongly diversified. And I only say this because of what we typically see when we analyze portfolios. So a quick lesson on diversification, you want to diversify amongst all academically defined asset classes, which should be between 19 and 21 asset classes, meaning small and growth companies, large value, both U.S., international companies, short-term bonds. And I would say that you likely are not invested in that way. Now, the reason to be so diverse is that all of those asset classes are not doing the same thing at the same time. Mm. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have periods of downtimes because that's inevitable, you know, when you're in the stock market, but diversification lessens the impact of that downside. Give us a call. If you're invested in mainly one asset class amongst those 33 funds, then you've added additional risk that you might not even be aware of. So your, your mix of assets, I would suggest, should be analyzed to see what exactly you hold under the hood. Yeah, I, I, it's really kind of funny, Barb. It's important for people to understand what they hold, that they should know what they hold. And it, it never ceases to amaze me. You will talk and, you know, we'll be talking to a client about somebody maybe bought a car or something, and they, they know all the details about what's in that car, how it operates, the horsepower, what's under the hood, and so forth. But you ask them what's in their portfolio, and they, they don't have a clue. So here's the most important thing that's going to help them through many years of their retirement, and they really don't understand that whether they have large companies or small companies or 
or not just even knowing that they have large and small. How do they work? How do they interact with one another? Why should you have large and why should you have small? Sure. You know what, in all fairness, I have to say to the investor, when they're thinking they're diversifying and they're choosing a mutual fund with small companies, we've seen this often. And we, we analyze this portfolio and they've got virtually nothing, maybe a half a percent, if that, mm-hmm. in small companies mm-hmm. when they are thinking they're investing in all small companies by choosing that particular fund. And that's for, because of something called style drift. And these active money managers can legally only have a very small portion allocated to small companies. And the rest they can do as they choose because their goal is just to beat an index anyway. But in all fairness to the investors, they're thinking they're being diversified oh. and they're not. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, if I were to ask my client or any client out there, are you a day trader? What are they going to say? Well, absolutely not. I'm not a day trader. Well, I'll guarantee you that your mutual fund manager could be. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're trading on an active basis. And so you understand if you're in that kind of a mutual fund, how your your goals and your your holdings will change dramatically over time. So you got to watch that. Yeah. Or even their advisor could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. And I know it's, it's tough to, to know exactly what's in your mutual funds for most people. I mean, you don't, you have to really dive into that prospectus that you get in the mail that I've probably thrown away, I don't know how many of those that I've gotten through the years that I haven't <laughs> yeah. really read through. So, I mean, it's, it's a difficult situation to be in. So don't worry about that, Beverly. You are not alone and you can get help from Barbara and Phil if you really want to figure out exactly what to do with those mutual funds. Again, we were taking questions from the mailbag. You can always send those in to pathfinderwealth.com or call Pathfinder Wealth Management Office at 815-399-9806. Our next question comes in from Amber. She writes, I'm 55 years old and I have about 300000 saved for retirement, but I feel like I'm really behind where I should be compared to most people I know. Am I in trouble? Well, first off, let's give Amber some real credit. Kudos for having accumulated $300,000 by age 55. You know, Fidelity Investments says that the average American between ages 50 and 59 has only $174,000 in their 401k plan. How in the world are they wow. going to be able to, you know, for that to supplement the retirement? It's And then, of course, you understand I mean, there's many that have less than that. And get this, it, it gets even worse than that, Ben. Between ages 60 and 69, there's an average of 195, 195,000. Wow. So Amber is way ahead of the pack, but she is theoretically only 10 years away from retirement. So I would say, yeah, $300,000 is a good start, Amber. Okay. But what we find is that many retirees are forced to live on 50% of what they were making when they were working full time. Well, that requires a huge readjustment of their lifestyle. Are they prepared for that? Well, they don't need to adjust that lifestyle if they really understand how to save and put money aside on a consistent basis. So, so here's a real a kind of a quick and dirty way to help Amber and others play catch up. If they're at that stage where they're, they're starting to pile money away and they're starting to look toward the finish line, well, number one, you know, figure out how much you'll need in retirement as far as income per year. So let's say Amber is making $60,000 per year and she doesn't want to take a pay cut. She wants to live on $60,000, doesn't want to reduce her lifestyle. And so $60,000 is her goal. She also knows that she's going to get $35,000 from uh, Social Security. So that's her only other form of income besides her investments. And so you subtract one from the other and that leaves $25,000 that has to be supplemented by investments. Well, take the 25000 that's required and divide it by 0.04. And we'll see that she needs to have a total of 625000 accumulated at the end of that 10-year period of time. That's her asset goal. That's what's going to provide the income. And the question is, is it possible for her to attain? 
That's 625000 Well, yes, it is. If she is able to put away $8,900 per year in her 401k, either through her salary or through a match from her employer, it's possible to do that. But we would recommend that Amber check with us to find out you know, what the details are on how to do that. It's just not as easy as what it sounds. There's a lot more moving parts to this particular strategy. So we want them to give us a call and, and kind of check with us as far as how she can accomplish the goal of 625000 if that, in fact, is what she needs at retirement. Sure. Like you said, too, Phil, I applaud her for checking this out now. Sometimes we have people come in and saying, I'm retiring this year, or I'm retiring in a year. Mm. And sometimes that gets to be a little bit sticky. But I have seen people that have $300,000, and it is enough for retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. If their expenses are low, and they've got Social Security and maybe a pension, it can be enough. But then I've seen others that have a million dollars and it's not going to be enough for right, retirement. Right. So I, I agree in your approach. And then I have two questions when you're answering Amber. And the first is, what is your current income? Because people spend what they make. If you look at your AGI and, of course, your AGI is already taking into consideration what you would contribute to a retirement account, AGI minus your expenses, and that uh, balances your discretionary income. If you, for example, have an AGI of $100,000 and your expenses are $50,000, then your discretionary is $50,000. So I always ask, well, where is this $50,000 going that it's not being accounted for? Because that's what's important, especially as you are nearing retirement. And the second question is, what are your expenses now versus in retirement? You have to know what your expenses are potentially before you can answer that question. And then... uh, I like I said, I think it's a good uh, good that she's looking at this right now, especially when you consider what the average savings is in our country. But I would always consider maxing out your 401k. I'm always going to suggest that. You can contribute up to $26,000 this year. Now, granted, not everyone can mm-hmm. you know, contribute what mm-hmm. you can. Another thing that you can do is don't take your increases in pay and invest that amount. In other words, increase your 401k contributions by your increase in pay. The closer you are to retirement, you want to have a savings mindset, and now is not too soon if it's 10 years away, for example. Yeah, it sounds like, one, she's not in bad shape. She said she was she worried about being mm-hmm. in trouble. But I think the other part of that is there's still, if you're in your mid-50s, you still have a lot of time and some really, really important years where you can close that gap. If you Even if you are in, in difficult shape, you can still close that gap quickly, right? Right, because you got your higher income years are coming. You know, they continue to increase. Right. So yeah, as they do that, you can save more. <laughs> So that's your good news, Amber, but always you want to sit down and and lay out your entire plan and kind of see exactly where you are and you can get uh, answers that are specific to you from an advisor. So that's that's your best course of action from here. But thanks for the question. We'll take one more. How about this one from Trevor on Social Security? Can you clarify whether I can start my Social Security benefit and still earn an income or not? I've heard different things and I'm confused about my options. Okay, I'll answer this question. I love Social Security questions. So Trevor, first of all, we do need to know your age. If your full uh, social security benefit is available to you at age 66 or 67 and you're age 62, you can collect social security, but it will be greatly reduced permanently except for your cost of living adjustments annually. And you are subject to an income limit until you reach your full retirement age to collect. That income limit is currently about $18,000 this year in 2020. When I say earned income, that doesn't mean withdrawals from IRAs or pension income or any income from your spouse. That's just your income, your earned income, and up to that amount, up to that $18,000, you'll receive your full reduced benefit. 
So if your earned income, for example, is above that $18,000, then Social Security holds back $1 for every $2 over that amount. For example, if you made $28,000, your $10,000 over that amount, they will hold back $5,000 in Social Security benefits. They will recalculate your benefit. You may have heard that you don't get it or they steal your benefit. That's not true. They will recalculate your Social Security benefit once you reach your full retirement age and you'll get any money that was held back when you were working and you're going to receive that by way of a higher benefit at full retirement age. But I would say be sure that you want to or you need to do this because it's such a big drop in what you could have if you waited. I'm particularly not in favor of collecting Social Security if you're working. Mm. But sometimes you have to. So, you know, the reduced benefit is there forever, but you have to do what you have to do. Now, one thing that you could do is collect at age 62, let's say, if you were laid off, and then you go back to work. Well, you have to wait now once you begin collecting until 66 or your full retirement age, and then you can stop payments at that time. So you'll get the delayed retirement credits of 8% per year until you retire, but that 8% is added to your age 62 benefit not your age 66 benefit, because you already received those benefits. Trevor, as you can see, there's a lot of questions that I'd have to ask you before giving you an answer. And that doesn't even get into your assets, your other assets, your income, your full social security benefit, your expenses, if you're married, your health. There's a lot of questions to be asked. You need a retirement planning and social security expert, and that's what we do. Give us a call at 815-399-9806 or send us an email to Pathfinder Wealth. Yeah, Barb, you know, what we're beginning to realize now, especially during this current pandemic, is a lot of the plans that we have set up need to be modified and tweaked a bit. I had somebody call me the other day, and this person was looking to retire at age 70. They're 66 right now, not planning to take, weren't planning to take any Social Security, but their company has come out with, you know, a early retirement plan, a package, so to speak. And, and this has happened several times over the last few weeks. You know, the question is, should they take the plan or not? Should they take the buyout or not? That's a very good question. You know, if they decide to take the buyout, take the plan, then we have to calculate what the Social Security benefit would be. So rather than defer Social Security, they need to take it now. If they don't take the, the buyout right now, they don't take the early retirement, you know, they're subject to be laid off at a later time and there's no benefits. There would be no package offered at that point. So uh, we're aware of some of our clients that are in this particular situation, and there's a lot of stress going on out there in terms of decision making. So uh, we just want to let, let, let our clients know those that are still working, you know, if you have any concerns in this area, please give us a call. We can help you walk through that, give you some reassurances that you're going to be okay. But it's still ultimately your decision as to whether you take a buyout or not. We would prefer that you would defer the Social Security, but if you have to, that's understandable. And so it's all about looking at the numbers. Let the numbers help you make that decision. Yeah, I talked with a client recently that, and I suggested uh, this doesn't have anything to do with a plan that's not going to be sustainable. But since you're just retiring, would you consider taking less income? Mm -hmm. Because these are these are unprecedented times with a market drop like this, and you know those are the times that you have to kind of adjust and um, pull back a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, these are all great questions we've had today, and I think a lot of people are just, you know, trying to sort things out right now and make sense of kind of where they stand, where they're headed, whether or not they need adjustments. If somebody wants to sit down and has additional questions and maybe it's never worked with you guys before at Pathfinder Wealth, kind of how does that process work? Let me go ahead and address that, Ben, because that's a really good question. And, and uh, you know, I love it when people ask me, well, what happens next? What do we do next? Okay, well, here's our process. You know, we just want you to come in. You don't have to have anything 
to bring with. We just want to answer your questions. We want to give you time to get to know us in the first interview like that and find out if it makes sense to go to the next interview. You know, we tell people, leave your checkbook in the car. Don't, <laughs> we're not going to try to get into your wallet. But we really wanted to understand what your question is and, and to point you in the right direction. It might be that you're totally okay. You just need some reassurances that you're all right. And don't be afraid. Really, I, I think there's a lot of what they call sales resistance going on. When people come to a place for the first time, they think they're going to be sold something. And by and large, that's what's happened. So their sales resistance is up. We want them to understand that we go into an interview, we sit there, we very seldom do I even take a pen and pencil with or a notepad. We just sit there to kind of get to know them and to get, you know, get, get to know us a little bit. And so put them at ease. And then if they want to, at some point in the future, they want to re-engage, that's fine. If not, no problem. What do you have to add to that, Barb? Yeah, very true. That is what we do. We take a very low-key approach. It's basically conversational. Yeah. You know, we want to get to know you. How can we create a plan for you if we don't know anything about you or what you're trying to accomplish? So there's one or two meetings that we spend trying to get mm-hmm. to know our clients. Mm-hmm. Well, there, if you want to take the first step to get your, your financial uh, path in order and your plan in order, make sure you reach out to, to Barbara and Phil. You can find them online, pathfinderwealth.com. There's a contact button at the top of the page where you can find their phone number. Also, you can submit a question to them, a comment directly that way, or you can call the office. Uh, it's 815-399-9806. So thank you for the questions today on the Retirement Pathfinder. We always appreciate those. Keep them coming in. And we'll, a couple episodes from now, we'll probably get to some more. So Barbara, Phil, thanks for the time. Uh, some great uh, information on this episode. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Good to be with you. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.